Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you have come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and as always, plenty of entertainment. What a few weeks it has been. From gallivanting around Vienna, Bratislava and Budapest with my mum and sister for 11 days last month to doing my first triathlon in six years at La Coutre Castle Triathlon and Multisport Festival two weekends ago. Yes, I did a triathlon. Whoop! To racing the Galway Tri Clubs, TTs and training for Mondello 24 with Cycling Connacht. It has been full on and I am loving it. It really has been all go and this fine weather has been lovely. Not very conducive to sitting at a laptop, but fabulous for training and getting outdoors. Speaking of outdoors, how great is it to have the racing season well and truly kicked off? I'm still buzzing from racing at La Coutre and cannot wait to race again. Not sure if I'll step up to the Olympic or stick with the sprint, but the bottom line is I'm back. I'll have a race report on La Coutre on the website over the coming days. The short version is... I was given the opportunity to race. I grabbed it with both hands, making a last minute decision to race the sprint and literally ripped off the racing plaster. I gave it welly for the crack and I loved it. And I did much better than I even expected. It was so much fun and the atmosphere at the castle across the weekend was super, helped along by the incredible sunshine we had for the two days of racing. Truth be told, if I could have raced a triathlon last weekend, I would have. But I was on the microphone and it was another incredible day of racing. Well done to everyone who raced at home and abroad over the past few weeks and a special shout out to everyone who either raced their first triathlon or got back into racing after a big break. Let this be the start or restart of an incredible adventure in triathlon. Next up for me is Mondello 24 with the Cycling Connacht team. I am thrilled to make the team for the event. After racing with the Women's Commission team last year, I was delighted that Cycling Connacht were putting in a women's team this year. We have had lots of fun along the way with our meetups and our time trials. Eight riders from seven clubs in the province have been selected for the team and the event is shaping up to be another great weekend. I'll be double jobbing again as a team rider and as the event MC and I'm really looking forward to seeing everyone on and off the track across the event. There's been a big interest in the race this year, so if the weather gods play ball it's going to be another super 24 hours of racing this weekend kicks off the ironman season in the uk and ireland with ironman 70.3 staffordshire taking place on sunday if you are racing ironman this season be sure to check out some of the articles on the try talking sport website under the performance hub tab which might save you time stress and hassle when packing your bags for racing and getting the final preparations underway for race weekend Before we dive into this week's episode, big shout out to Emma Porter, who has gone mad for gravel after her epic success at the Track at 360 in Girona. Last Saturday, she took on the Unbound Gravel Race in Kansas in the Elite Women's Race, completing 200 miles of gravelly adventure. You can check out her initial abbreviated race report on the Try Talking Sport website and the socials. Finally, for those of you who are avid fans of the podcast, you may have noticed there's been a bit of a gap between this episode and the previous one. With my announcing schedule kicking in for the summer and lots of travel with that, I have decided to release the episodes a little less frequently over the coming weeks. There will still be episodes, I promise. They'll be out on a Wednesday at 3pm. They'll just be released a little more ad hoc, but will still feature amazing guests and fascinating stories in sport and beyond. As always, don't forget about our discount on Nuasan products. If you haven't checked them out yet, go to www.nuasan.com to see their range and use the code TTS15 to get 15% discount online. I have been motoring through the CBD muscle gel like a lunatic the past few weeks and the legs are feeling good, using it specifically after some of the very hard efforts on the bike. 
Now to this week's episode with Olympian David Gillick, 400 metre indoor and outdoor Irish record holder who has dedicated a huge portion of his life to his sport on the running track, representing club and country on the world stage. His sporting career as an elite athlete saw him make history when he won Ireland's first sprint gold medal in 76 years when he won the 2005 European Indoor Championship. He retained that title in 2007 and in 2008 he fulfilled his dream of becoming an Olympian. The following year he competed at the Berlin World Championships finishing 6th in the 400 metre final fulfilling another significant goal he had set himself in sport. His successful athletics career was speckled with some disappointment and injury along the way and when you consider the minute margins between winning a race and not winning a race over 400 metres you can only imagine the intense pressure cooker within which athletes at this level perform. Wrapping up his career as an elite athlete in 2013, David moved from the bubble of his life as a full-time athlete with all the structure, routine and training that his life involved into the real world and struggled to come to terms with his life beyond sport. He has openly shared his struggles with his mental health and the importance of getting back to sport for him and back to running, to what he really loves. This October, he will take on his second marathon at the Irish Life Dublin City Marathon. Winner of Celebrity Masterchef and one of three finalists in RTE's Ultimate Hell Week, the father of three is a two-time best-selling author who is passionate about sport, food, promoting a healthy body and mind and has become a vocal advocate on mental health. This is a super insightful and fun chat with David who shares insight into his life in sport and beyond. Now go grab a cuppa and enjoy the show. David Gillick, welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast. Delighted to finally get you on the show. You're a very busy man. Cheers for having me on. Looking forward to the chat. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll I'll be able to part some of my wisdom, <laughs> maybe onto, onto the listeners. But no, cheers for having me on. You're one of the busiest men on the planet. You're doing everything from you're an athlete, a dad, an author, a Hell Week winner, a MasterChef winner, an advocate for athletes, an advocate for mental health. You're on committees. You're ambassador for so many brands. How do you keep juggling everything in the air? Or do you? Well, do I? Like, it's funny, okay, because as you're kind of listening them off there, I'm kind of going, God, yeah, like, I am doing a lot. But I suppose, like, essentially, I'm a freelancer. You know, I work for myself. Um, so things come in peaks and troughs. And it's probably taken me... It's probably taken me nearly like eight years to actually accept that. Um, and through that, I'm able to kind of maybe go with the flow of life. And, you know, I'm very, very lucky with the opportunities that have presented themselves. Um, you know, I never once when I stepped off the track nearly 10 years ago, I actually retired originally 10 years ago this year. I never thought I'd be doing what I'm doing now. Never in a, in, in a million years. And, you know, I, I did work full time um, initially. Um, I did nearly kind of two to three years um, working full time. And I wasn't really kind of happy with what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I kind of just thought, you know, I, I need to press pause. I need to take a bit of time out. And I, I suppose off the back of MasterChef and off the back of running, I was working with one or two brands. And I kind of said, look, I, I've enough to survive um, by doing these gigs. So I said, I'll do that for a while. And then just things kind of began to kind of snowball. And like, one of the things you mentioned there, like I do like giving back to the sport because it's probably taken me a couple of years to actually now look back at my sport with fondness and be grateful. And, you know, I feel like it's my duty to maybe give back to the sport and, um, you know, involved in certain committees like the Anti-Doping Committee. Um, I was involved with the Athletes Commission, the OFI. Um, and now kind of 
with young kids myself, I'm beginning to coach a little bit. Um, so yeah, like it's a lot. And, uh, you know, my wife, Charlotte would be always giving out to me going, you're never home. Um, but it's peaks and troughs. And I think that's the key with it. You know, I'm going to have busy times of the, of the year and, and then other times that, um, you know, I do a lot of corporate work. So that kind of quietens down during the summer and kind of around Christmas time. So I know there's ups and downs and, um, I keep telling myself, like, you know, I'll get a bit of time off. I'll get a bit of time off. <laughs> it is super, isn't it, really, to be able to create and manage your own schedule. You really are your own boss at the end of the day. You're not in a nine to five Monday to Friday. Something tells me that that was never, ever going to be the plan for you anyway, really. And isn't it just amazing that, like, having come from being an athlete at the very top level, that you've been able to carve a niche for yourself in sport, in community, and doing something that you're absolutely loving. Yeah, and I, I think it hit the nail on the head there. I'm doing something that that I love. Um, and a lot of the work that I do doesn't feel like work. And that, that's a that's a huge thing to be able to say. Um, like, again, I never sat down with a pen and paper and kind of went, right, this is what I want to do. A lot of things kind of happened organically. And I suppose when I look back over the last couple of years, I think the key part of that is building relationships and actually being able to communicate. I don't have an agent. Um, you know, I I kind of do a lot of my own stuff myself. And I think through that, I've been able to really kind of, you know, just have key relationships and work on those relationships. And that's helped. And that's created a lot of opportunity in terms of some of the work that I'm doing. And, and you know, like to be involved in sports still at this point and, I've probably gone through various changes and, you know, I, look, I, I, I've taken some opportunity. I've done things and then kind of thought, oh, God, I don't know if this is for me. Um, you know, when I initially worked, you know, I thought this was it. This is me for the next kind of, you know, until I retire, you know, at the age of 65 or, or, or so. And and then you kind of have those moments where you're kind of thinking, you know, is this really what I want to do? And then you have the fear. Well, I can't change. And that did kind of hold me back. And even working for myself, I'll be honest, like January is always a bit like, oh, my God, what way is this year going to go? Maybe this is the year I need to go and get a real job. Um, and I've had those moments I've had every year. And it's daunting. And it, like, it's not easy working for yourself. But at the same time, you know, the fact that you you are your own boss, you are making your own money, you can then kind of like, you know, maybe kind of manipulate your year a little bit. And particularly with three young kids, um, it's great now that they're at the age when, you know, they finish school and they have their holidays that I can work around that and be around a little bit more. And and that's that's probably of huge importance to me right now is to try and get that work life balance that I'm able, I'm able to spend time with my kids. And that's that's kind of one of the things I really want to do. Like, And you're still able to embrace sport. You're training now for the Dublin Marathon, which probably takes priority over work at times, even though you're not going to tell your clients. You're really, really going to show me up here. Um, like. You know, when I was training full time and over 400, I was definitely priority number one. And then slowly but surely I got married and you have kids. It's kind of I'm dropping into pecking order. But the truth be told, of course, my running is priority. You know, I like that's the one thing I try and fit in. But I love it. And again, like doing a marathon for me was the like was probably one of the most the ultimate goal, you know, coming from 400 meters, a sprinter. You know, people we used to say to me, oh, but she's a runner. She can do every, you you run a two and a half hour marathon. And I'm scratching my head going, you have no idea. Like there's GA players that would probably be better conditioned to run marathons than I would because my whole physiology was all geared around 44, 45 seconds. And that was it. So to change all of that um, was a massive process. But I suppose kind of like two years ago, I, I was doing a bit of cyclocross, which fantastic, loved it. And then I realized I'm not fit. 
I'm not aerobically fit. And I said, right, I'm going to try and get fit. And I started doing a bit more running. And then I was like, this is boring. Um, I need a goal. So then I was like, I'm going to do the marathon. You know, typical stretch goal. There was no 10Ks or halves. I was going like full hog here. And then I was like, I'm going to try and run under three hours. <laughs> and then people were like, you're not going to be able to do that. And I was like, right, I'm going to get a coach. So a good buddy of mine, Emmett and Levy, uh, is a coach. He was helping me out. And we just went on that journey. And um, I loved it. And what I loved about it was I loved the process. I love the fact that I have a coach who just goes, right, here's what you need to do. Go and do it. Um, I didn't have to think about it. I just followed the orders. And that brought me back to, I suppose, the way it was for me, you know, as an elite athlete and training and having a little goal. And through that, then my week had a bit of structure. Um, and, you know, training for a, an autumn marathon is great. You know, springtime, summertime, the weather's good. And, you know, the long days, you're out early. Um, and I just loved it. And um, it's been a massive part. And even Charlotte turned around to me this year. And she's like, are you going to do Dublin again? And I was like, how do I answer this? And before I did, she said, I think you should because you're a better person for it. And that's like, and that's where sport and, and, and running, and that's the beauty about running. There's so many different levels. I'm not competing with anyone. I just want to challenge myself and get the reward of that. Um, and I love it. And I think, you know, from my own kind of mental health and physical well-being, I, I, I love running. It's simple. You've been quite public and open about your struggles with mental health post your elite career. Um, and for a lot of people getting out running or doing triathlon or training, it's so important to be outside or to be exercising, whatever it is that drives those endorphins yeah. to support and protect your mental health. Well, like 100 percent. And, you know, for me, like all the research is there in terms of exercise and how it makes us feel, uh, physical well-being, mental well-being. And and for me, like I, I struggled with that change. That was the biggest thing that I, I struggled with was that literally that my career ended. And then two weeks later, I'm waking up and I think, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Who am I? Like, what am I good at? And, you know, even socially as well, I was probably 10 years behind my mates who kind of finished college and got on to jobs and I'm starting way down. You're thinking, you know, how am I ever going to get up to that level? And how am I going to afford a house and build? And all these kind of things start flooding your mind. And it just, it was just overwhelming. And I wasn't exercising at all. Like, I always reference Andre Agassi's book, uh, The Open, where he talks about he hated tennis. I went through that with athletics. I hated athletics and I resented it because it put me in the situation I was in. You know, I didn't get the opportunity to say goodbye to the sport on my terms. Like I I wanted to go to, you know, Beijing, to London, then go to Rio and retire. I made one Olympics and it all ended, you know, through injury. So I couldn't even I couldn't even run. You know, that was the reality of where I was at. So I was resentful and. Um, and then you panic. I took a job. I, I focused on money. I thought that's what I needed to do. Um, I wasn't content in that. So I said yes to absolutely everything. And then I was doing stuff on the side, kind of weekends. And before I knew it, it was like seven days a week. And I kept saying to myself, I, I kept saying yes to things because I was like, oh, maybe this is the answer. This is the thing. This is the thing that's going to fix everything. So my mental health completely and utterly deteriorated in that. I wasn't looking after myself in terms of diet. I wasn't even sleeping. I had insomnia. Um, and I actually remember I broke out in psoriasis because I was so stressed. And then, you know, the reality was in my house when I was at home, you know, with the people that mattered most, I was I was angry. I was irritable. I was just I was just fed up. I was overwhelmed. Then I'd leave the house and I put the mask on to be the person that I thought I should be in front of others. And like that is so, so tiresome. It was just that constant argument in my head. You're a fraud. You're an idiot. You're this, you're that. And that internal dialogue. And, you know, the biggest change for me, I, I did go through a process of counseling um, and then I actually under, I, I began to understand me. I began to kind of realize that like 
I've been running since I was like six or seven. I joined my local running club when I was seven, Dundrum South Dublin, and I missed it. And I was grieving, if anything. I was, you know, I was going through that like loss of something that was a huge part of me and gave me so much confidence and self-worth. Um, and then I, I realized, yeah, I, I got to get back running. And it coincided with going to counseling and, and, and talking about things and actually begin to understand. So now, like, you know, how do I manage my my mental health? I exercise on a regular basis. I try and get outdoors as much as I can. I try and get the kids outdoors as much as I can. And I feel better about myself. And through kind of like exercise, I want to, to eat better. I'm sleeping better. And I feel like I'm in control. And that's a great thing. I go for a run and I feel better after. It's it's that simple. Um, and then I like having little targets, little goals along the way. And in terms of what I'm doing now in running is like 5Ks, 10Ks, uh, park runs, and then leading up to the marathon. And, and I think that way you have a bit of structure. And I feel good about myself. And that's the thing. It's that kind of self-empowerment. And what can you do to help yourself? And uh, I still go to counselling, which is very important. Um, and I'm back doing something that I love and I've always loved, which is running. Interesting there. Some of the words that you mentioned were taking back control and empowerment and structure. And you would imagine at the time when you retired back in 2013 that everything was out of control because you really didn't know where you were going or what you were doing. And you identify so much as an athlete and your life is just so in a bubble in a way when you think about it that you somebody else is controlling your life at the time maybe your coach or your training and your focus um 100 percent uh focused on on your sporting goals but you've no control then when you leave that environment we had shane williams the welsh international rugby player on the podcast the previous episode and he spoke as well about how difficult it was to move beyond that professional level of sport into literally the unknown yeah yeah or as I, as I termed the real world and well yeah you're not really prepared for it in many ways and when you're kind of you know participating in sport and you know you are you're in a group you have a coach you're meeting them every single day you're sitting there with your coach you're mapping out like for me it was every week every month every year every four-year olympic cycle was pretty much mapped out i knew exactly what i was doing and i knew that like you know, in September, I get a couple of weeks off. That was my holiday time. And then you're back into it at the end of September. And every day you you woke up, you went to training, you were around like-minded people and you had a goal. You had a goal. And that was your session. Here's your target times. And it was all building up towards a championship. Um, and everything revolved around that. It wasn't, yes, it was a sport, but it was a lifestyle choice. Mm. Um, and I loved it. And that's the thing. I absolutely loved it. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, it was such a privilege to be in that environment. Um but the biggest challenge was, OK, you come to the end of that and then you wake up one day and you're kind of thinking, I, I remember waking up uh, on a Saturday morning and turning to Charlotte and going, what do normal people do on a Saturday? And I, I don't want to sound condescending, but for like for like my whole entire life, I trained on a Saturday morning. And I always remember um, like around springtime where, you know, suddenly the, the buds and the leaves come on the trees. And like, that's when, you know, the butterflies become, because, you know, the season's just around the corner, you know, you know, the anticipation. And then suddenly you're kind of looking at the trees going like, I'm not, I should be nervous. What, what, this is weird. I, I'm not nervous. I, you know, I've no season to look forward to. And then the leaves change, you know, when it gets to autumn and that's when you go, all right, I'm going back into training. This wasn't happening. And it, like, I know like the season, it changed. Like it was just weird. It was crazy. And that had a profound impact on me. And I think that transition out of a structured environment where you're around like-minded people, you're always got a clear goal, you have a clear purpose, to then suddenly waking up and that doesn't, really, I, I could turn up, I, I could be hung over on a Saturday or a Sunday and it didn't matter anymore. 
So, so what do normal people do on a Saturday morning, David? They go to park room now. <laughs> well, this is it. <laughs> um, let, let, let's go back a little bit, uh, back to the young David Gillick. And where did this interest in sport come from? Or how did you end up uh, running at the age of six and seven? And let's talk about your career right through, because you did have a very successful career. Yeah, like running, I suppose, was always in our family. I'm the youngest of four. I've got two brothers, uh, Tony, John. Were you spoiled as a kid, by the way? As the youngest of four, were you spoiled as a kid? Well, they would say I was spoiled. I would say no. Were you the pet? Ah, there was probably... (laughs) Apparently now my mum would kill me for saying that, but I wasn't that... I wasn't planned. So maybe (gasps) they sorry for me, you know? A couple of years between me and my sister. But uh, no, look, you know... I had a great upbringing. Like, you know, both my parents worked. My mum was a nurse um, for nearly 40 years, um, working nights. You know, she was heavily involved in, in sport. Basketball was was her sport. And I pretty much grew up on the on the side of a basketball court. Um, all my brothers and my sister, they all participated in sport. And again, we were blessed to grow up in, in an area, Volunteer, uh, where, you know, from... St. John's, Volunteer St. John's GA for the Broadford Rover Soccer to um to Dundrum DSD uh, Athletic Club, literally at the end of my road. And again, being the youngest, I was just thrown in the car and like, right, we're going here, we're going there. Um, you know, my parents, like dad was a taxi driver every weekend. They were all doing sport and I'd just be there. And I think from an early age, sport was just normal. Like I can remember going training with my mum basketball and uh, and they were short a player. So they threw me in. Uh, as a young lad, you know, it was great. You know, I can remember that vividly and maybe that's it. Maybe it kind of sticks in your head as a young age. You know, it's um, you model what people around you are doing and you mirror that. And uh, sport was always in our house and it was always on the TV. It was always on the radio. And um, again, in my area, I mentioned the uh, the athletic club was at the end of a road. And and that was my first kind of interest into athletics, but also in my school. Um, I can remember doing the coming of Bun School at a young age, uh, the primary school of sports here in Dublin, did those, and then through that joined the athletic club, and then it kind of went from there, you know. And like as a young lad, it was just fun. It was a bit of crack. Did I, like, look, I was the fastest in my class. So, you know, from the competitive sense, maybe, you know, I wanted that and I enjoyed that. Um, and it just went from there. And like, I, I suppose I never really thought about, like, Look, you daydream. As a young kid, you would daydream. I, I used to watch Sonia Sullivan, you know, winning races and doing laps of honour. And I can remember kind of, you know, I remember my brother came into the kitchen one time and I was like, I was doing my celebration if I won a race. And he remember looking at me going, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, nothing, you know. And like, maybe maybe that's it. You're, you're inspired, you're motivated. Um, and I did various sports throughout my teenage years. Uh, went on to St. Benilda's College in, in secondary school in Kilmacud and uh, played an awful lot of GA, a bit of soccer, but cross-country running was in there as well. And again, kind of kept me involved in it. And I suppose I progressed through the years, but I, I didn't make any interna- like underage international um, events. I'm probably a little bit short on that, but I kept at it and I was probably a little bit of a late developer. And then kind of in my late teens, that's when I really began to make inroads into athletics. I was getting faster um, and I was probably beginning to find my event as well. You know, I was quick. Uh, I had an element of strength, but not a quick enough for maybe a 100, 200 and not maybe strong enough for maybe an 800 or 15. So I fell in around about that 400 meter area. Um, and that was that was probably the start of uh, of a good journey, you know, and like to be fair, I, I, I made I went to the World Juniors in 2002 as part of a relay team. Um, and that was just a game changer because it was such a cool experience. You know, Usain Bolt was 
He's about nearly two years younger than me, but he was competing in Jamaica, packed stadium, the atmosphere. And I can remember coming back from that going, do you know what? I want more of that. That's what I want to do. And I played my last year uh, with St. John's Volunteer. Um, and then I packed in the guard and kind of focused more on the athletics. And again, it wasn't until kind of, you know, 2004, I got a break, the European indoors. Um, I, I managed to win that. And and that gave me huge confidence then. Like you kind of think, right, I'm on a different level now. But I was still in college in Dublin. Like, you know, I was still, I was probably hung over for every Friday for about four years. Um, I had the fun, like, you know, um, and then 2006, I, I finished from college and I had a I had a shocking performance at the European Outdoor Championships in Gothenburg. I came last in my semi-final and that hurt because I had a bit of success prior and probably expectation and pressure and all that kind of stuff just overwhelmed me, you know, at that moment. And, and that was a huge game change because I remember coming away from those championships going, you know, that's not me. That performance is not me. I need to change things. And that's when I moved to Loughborough. In 2006 and that was probably the real kind of step up in terms of right you know it's big time athletics now i was training with better people i was in an environment where i was challenged every day and it made me really kind of make that choice like is this a sport or is this a lifestyle and i chose kind of lifestyle this is it this is what i want to do and i really kind of went after it then and how did you deal with the pressure you know, your races, they're only four, they're only, I say only 400 metres. But you mentioned earlier, 44, 45 seconds. Like you miss out on a, a spot in the final by like point not nothing of a second. Yeah. You miss out on a medal at a world games or an Olympic qualification or like, it's insane. I, I, I don't know how you dealt with it or how did you deal with it? Yeah. Like, you know, there's certain races that I still run in my head, you know, 2010 European Championships. I was probably, I was probably arguably the favorite for it. Um, but there was we were all very close in the rankings now. To be fair, but um, like I missed, I missed the gold medal by 0.2 and I missed the bronze by 0.02. So pretty much a blanket finish. Um, but that's sprinting. You know what I mean? And that's that's you kind of you're aware that it's it's always going to be close and it's fine, fine margins. Um, and it's tough. Like it, it's really, really tough. And you know, again, in those circumstances, you, you you try and run your own race. You know what I mean? You can't run someone else's race because it's so short. And if you do that, the chances are you'll mess up your own kind of uh, strategy. And and that's something you got to learn over time when you mature in your event. You got to know how to run your event. Um, and it's fine, fine margins. Like if I went through two hundred meters in, you know, let's say twenty one four. Okay, I'm trying twenty one point four seconds. If I went through in twenty one two or twenty one one. I'll mess up my whole race. You know, I'll, I'll pretty much die in the last 50 meters. Whereas if I go through in like 21.6 or 21.7, so 0.3 slower, I'll probably run out of track. You know what I mean? Coming home too fast. So like that's where, you know, the measurements and you have to fine tune that and you have to really kind of, you know, understand what works for you in a race and then run run your own strategy. Um, and it, it, sometimes you get it right. Sometimes you get it horribly wrong. And there's plenty of races where, I got it wrong, but I got it right in a few as well. And I, I think, that, to be honest with you, that comes down to good communication with your coach and understanding that what do I need to do and your training and all that. And I'd always say kind of in athletics, like one of the greatest quotes I ever heard was like, you you, you know, first and foremost, you coach the athlete, then you coach the event. Um, and that's very, very important. And and um, I think as well, it's that kind of that feedback, you know, and I was very lucky when I was in England, uh, coach Nick Dakin, where he 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 understood me, you know, he understood me and 
you know, other athletes maybe didn't need the arm around the shoulder as much, you know, but I was a type of athlete that that's what I liked. Um, and I'd seek that and he would give it to me. And that was very reassuring in terms of my training, my progress, and also dealing with the setbacks, you know, debriefing, understanding, okay, well, what worked, what didn't work, what do we need to prove upon? And and that's an ongoing cycle. Um, and I think if you can have that in your environment and have the people around you that you can trust, that can help with those little defeats and those little point ones and point zero ones that sometimes go astray, you know. But in saying that, Joanne, I've won races. I've won races by point one and point zero one. So like <laughs> it's a two-way street. There's the internal pressure you're put on yourself because you might have missed out on something by the point one or the point not one or celebrated having beaten others. But what about that pressure when you come home and you've had a great race, you've put yourself in the mix, first time being featured by RT in the newspapers as like, wow, David Gillick has just done X, Y, and Z. And then you come home and there's this extra level of expectation but it's external expectation how do you deal with that yeah like i gotta be honest like 2005 um when i won in madrid i wasn't prepared for success and to be brutally honest i don't think my sport was prepared for success at that moment in time i think you know previous winners like likes of like sonia sullivan the really you know superstars of the sport uh irish icons they probably weren't necessarily based in Ireland. Um, they were based maybe in the States and stuff like that. So it was easier to kind of like do your job and then kind of hide away from all the hype and the expectation. Whereas, you know, in 05, I came, like I can remember coming back to the airport and, you know, next minute there was an announcement on the plane and there was a guy with bagpipes brought me the whole way through. And I was like, where's my bags? He's like, don't worry about that. We'll come back and get them. And you know what I mean? It was just all different. And then you're walking through the airport and people are looking at you and, uh, I, like it was strange and look I was young at the time you kind of lap it up it's great fantastic I went into college then the Tuesday and the lecturers were like oh well done and you know you had all that stuff but I can remember like suddenly then there was questions it was just a constant kind of like oh when are you racing you know next and uh, you, you're going to win the Olympics and all and and like it was like people who maybe didn't know a whole lot about athletics suddenly knew me and were like oh Jesus your man's actually he's apparently a bit of a good runner like and then it was the questions and I didn't like not that I didn't like it. I just didn't know how to deal with it. And it was just all a bit overwhelming. Like, and then the neighbor was, I remember the neighbor came in and was like, I like, we knew you were a good runner. I didn't think you were that good. Like, you know, and it was just. Typical you know, Irish compliment. Typical, absolutely. Like, you know, and then like the late, late show and all this sort of crack. And then it was almost just like people had suddenly had an interest. And maybe at that time it was, we didn't have a star in athletics. And I can remember watching the news when I came home because at that point I recorded everything because I'd never had a whole lot. So, you know, dad was all the papers and we're recording the news and re-watching the news. And I remember they said something like um, a bubbling athletic career. And straight away, I remember like bubbling. Shit, that means like, that means I have to win again. That means more. And you know what I mean? It's kind of like, whoa, like I, I couldn't even, I couldn't enjoy it. I couldn't enjoy it because straight away it was like, right, you know, the worlds are coming up. And then suddenly people were talking about, you know, the world championships in Helsinki. And then you're going, oh, my God, like now I have to really go here and perform. And yeah, it was all a bit weird. And I think sometimes in sport, we we kind of we're preparing for like maybe when things don't go well. And then it's like, OK, what do we do? But do we actually prepare for success? And I think it's a huge area that, you know, things are going well. How do we how do we manage this? You know, how do we manage the external um, expectations and maybe the noise that goes on? And it was hard. And I got to be honest, that probably 2006 didn't go well for that reason. Going into the European Championships, I was the one who was like leading the team, supposedly. And oh, he's going to do this and he's going to do that. And none of it happened. And then you're kind of going from a high down to like, oh, 
you know, he's a one hit wonder. Like, and then you're kind of questioning everything. Um, and it was hard. And I think in those moments, you know, when I look back, it's probably having people who understand what success is about and understand kind of how you deal with that. Um, and like, you know, saying no as well is probably the hardest thing because, you know, I was in the area, I was living in the area, I grew up and you have this, oh, can you do this? Can you go here? Can you go there? And like, you know, as much as you want to, is it conducive to success? Is it conducive to training? It wasn't, but like, if I didn't, I was an arsehole. <laughs> yeah, and I suppose the other thing as well is we see the successes and we see the disappointments on the outside, but we don't see the journey that you've gone through between races to get to those successes or whatever the result may be. Indoor and outdoor, mm. 400 metres, you still have the Irish record for both of those, don't you? Yeah, yeah, they're still there, yeah. Yeah, they're <laughs> standing a long time at this stage. Yeah, like my the, the indoor one, the indoor one, most recent one was 2007. No, sorry, 2000 and, uh, 2009. Yeah, I think it's yeah, that's a long time. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, actually, because I forget about them. It's weird. Like, they crop up now and again, like, you know, but I always have to do kind of the maths on it and actually think back going, well, when did I actually run that? Yeah, 2009, I actually, so 2007, I set the Irish record, 45.52, and then Two years later, I actually lit I ran the exact same time. Um and then outdoors that year as well, 2009, I ran 4477. And that's the outdoors. So like that year was obviously a great year for me. Um and like indoors and outdoors, like there is a difference. Like indoors obviously takes place earlier in the year. It's a completely different track. It's 200 meters. So you have to do two laps, you break from your lanes. Um it's on banked kind of uh, a bank track as well. So it's a little bit more physical. Which I absolutely loved. I love it's a different strategy. You gotta get out hard and you gotta literally just go for it. Whereas outdoors, you know, you're in your own lane, nobody can touch you. Um so it's a different kind of strategy. But like, you know, at the end of the day, it's four hundred meters and um it's the same distance. So I yeah, like I indoors and people would look at me and go, Oh, you're too big for indoors, like I'm six six two. Um so people would say, Oh, you're tall. For indoors, but I love the competitive side of it. I love the fact that you could get there's a bit of rough and tumble, and you know lads be coming in on top of you. Um, and I responded well for that, and I also didn't have to like change my training a whole lot in the winter to uh, to get a performance. Like weight wise, I didn't have to kind of bring that down. I didn't have to taper a whole lot, and I began to understand that like you know I, I can run off high volume and run fast off high volume, and then that enabled me not to really change a whole lot in the winter. Because the outdoors was always the big goal. That's where the big championships are, Olympics, Worlds, and and uh, all the major championships outdoors. So, um, yeah, like, you know, it's nice having records. I'm not going to lie. It's nice having records. Um, and probably, like, I'm retired now nearly 10 years. So when I first retired, you want your records to last forever. But now you kind of go, I actually kind of, maybe I kind of want them to be broken a bit because I'd love that number, that that number for 400 meters to give someone a target to go, you know what, like that's something I want to achieve. And, you know, people who had gone before me kind of laid the path over over one lap. And I'd like to think, well, I've put a bit of tarmac on that now. So who's next to come true? But I also know like to run those times, it takes an awful lot of work. It takes an awful lot of graft and an awful lot of choices. And, you know, if you can do those times, you're then going to be kind of on the elite side of 400 meters. And hopefully there's a couple of lads now coming through that are showing a bit of promise and a bit of potential. So hopefully, um, hopefully they can, you know, get up to that level. And then, then we're going to have people in finals and that's what you want. Absolutely. You mentioned high volume. What was high volume back in the day? Because I, I have my I'm own. To, yeah, I'm not. Will you stop now? You're going to laugh at this. Like <laughs> In my own head, I'm like, hmm, what's high volume? Hmm. Like, well, I'll give you an example. Like I suppose in the winter, like one of our key sessions 
uh, on the track would be like <laughs> six by 300 meters. Okay. So like that would be a huge, um, you know, tough. So one, 1.8K. Oh, yeah, 1.8K, right? With, with a couple of breaks in between. So that's two sets of three. So you'd be doing a rep like one, like you probably depend on the time of the year, but maybe three minutes b- between each rep. And then that would be two sets of three and six minutes between the sets. <laughs> Well, you're going fairly hard. I know, it. yeah. I don't know. No, no, I know that. No, I know that. I got, I got a big up the the 400 meter sprinters there, but um. And and would you do like longer runs? Like, would you do a, a kilometer run as a go, or is it all just really hard and fast? No, again, like you know, probably from say October time through to let's say kind of December time, you will be doing a lot of base work. So you know, you'd be doing kind of you probably wouldn't even set foot in a track, you know, bar kind of like speed development and technical aspects to it. But we used to do an awful lot of stuff on grass. Um, now it was nice grass; it was like cricket pitch grass, um, and that could be like anything from two minutes, three minutes, up to five minute kind of pyramids. And that's you putting in your aerobic base, you know, nothing too major, but like that's going to give you the base to be able to go and train and really kind of get into the lactic stuff. Um, but you'll always be hitting that system as well. You're always anaerobic. Um, so again, like that could be a Tuesday session and then a Thursday you're going shorter, faster, and then a big kind of fartlek session, um, on the weekend, which is a combination of like shuttle runs, hill runs, short hills, long hills, um, all of that sort of work combined into maybe you probably build that up to somewhere about like kind of 50 minutes of actual work. Um, but in terms of going anything kind of long, like long, say five Ks or anything like that didn't exist. Absolutely didn't exist. Um, I think around October, November, we might went for like, you know, a 20 minute recovery run, um, <laughs> you know, and that would be it. But again, it's kind of like it's very specialized. And that's the thing, you know, when I started doing more kind of endurance work recently, like, you know, I was so anaerobic. It was off the charts. Like I did a lactate test probably January of last year. And even before I started a warm up, I was hitting like three millimoles, um, you know, which is colossal you know and then i was hitting up like i did the workout and i was up to like 18 minimals per liter blood like you know like it's fascinating because you know essentially if i was to run a marathon i'd I'd be hitting the wall within the first hour that's that you know so 40 minutes i'd be 40 and then i'm done absolutely you know so you know it's quite interesting from that perspective how specialized sprinting can be um And even when I went and I did like park run, I can remember doing my first park run. And I told this story before, but like I walked into the field in Marley Park and some lad came up to me and goes, oh, Gillick, great to see you. You should win this. And I remember thinking, hang on a second. I've never ran a 5K, but I absolutely took off. I went for it over the first. I didn't know, you know, I'd never ran this. And um, loads of people passed me and a fellow passed me pushing a buggy. And I was like, I was absolutely dying by the end of it. Um. I was in bits and people were, people were actually amazed. And I still get it the odd time about a year ago, I was in Marley and I finished. And I think I probably ran about 19 minutes or something. And and one lad actually came up and he goes, Oh, what did you run? I was like, Oh, I think I was like, you know, low 19s. And he was like, really? Because I thought you'd be running 16 minutes. And it's just a perception, you know, you're a runner, you can do everything. But um, yeah, so like load wise, like that's the way it would kind of work. Like we were we were six days a week, one day off, um, and we'd mainly run Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, um, and then kind of you've got your kind of prehab and rehab and kind of SNC all on top of that afternoons and other days as well. That's kind of the way it would work. And when you came back to running after retiring as a full time athlete, where did you start? Did you go out and run 400 meters or did you decide you were going to go down a bit more of an endurance path? So it's funny, actually. So in 
it actually kind of co- coincides with when I went back to counseling, um, I began to understand like, you know what, the thing that was stopping me initially about going out and actually doing any form of exercise was my own ego. I was very much like, like I, I can remember Charlotte come, you went to like, she was working, she came home on a Monday and was like, oh, come on, let's go to kettlebells. And I was like, I went to Olympic Games, I'm not going to kettlebells. And she's like, come on, you're going to enjoy it. And I was like, how much is it? And she's like, a tenner. I'm not paying someone 10 euro. I'm David Gillick, like. Um, and then she was like, shut up, come on. So I went down and it was the best tenner I spent. He shouted abuse at me and I loved it. And that was the issue. I was, I was, I, look, my ego was probably, you know, and I think sometimes when you're struggling with your mental health and stuff like that and you're struggling with change, you know, the ego is in overdrive and I needed to get over myself. And I did eventually, you know, and I went down kettlebells, it was all great fun. And then I was like, um, I'm going to go up and do a park run. And I kind of got into the habit, but I was also talking about what I was going through at the same time. And the parallels are very, very kind of, you can see them there clear as day. And um, that's where I, I went up, started doing a few 5Ks. And then I, after a couple of weeks, I was like, you know, I'm going to go down to the track here. So I went down to um, Dan, Daniel Kilgallen's a sprints coach in Tala there and jumped in with that that group on a Tuesday and a Thursday park run on a Saturday. My week had structure and I loved it. And then after a while, I was like, you know, maybe, maybe I'll actually race again. So I hadn't raced in like nearly four years. And the truth be told, I was scared about running a 400 again. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I thought if I run, I get injured. I'm just going to open that wound and the whole thing will all start again. Um, but I, I, I said, right, I'm going to race. And I didn't do a race in Ireland again. Didn't I didn't want people to really kind of analyze it or look at it. So I found a little race in Italy and um, I, had to, I had to beg to get into it. And I'm not making this up. And I've told this story before where I had to email she was Italian, and I remember emailing her and giving her a big, I'm David Gillick, I ran this, I ran that. Never said I'd retired. I said I had a few injuries, um, but I'm getting back on track now. And she responded and said, no, I'm sorry, there's no lanes. So no space in the race. So I went back to her and I go, oh, look, you know, I really kind of pulled at the heartstrings. And she obviously didn't know who I was and Googled me and then responded through email and said, did you win Celebrity Master Chef Ireland? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, no problem, on your come. So I went over to Italy, paid my own way, and I was in the B race, and I ran 48 seconds. And then that was the start of, that was 2016, and I ended up racing that season. And I, I started training in January, and I got down to like, I think I ran 46.2 that year, or so 46.3, or something like that. Uh, and I was very happy with that, and I made the team for the Europeans uh, in the relay. And, um, and then I kind of, not that I retired, but I said goodbye to that level. Uh, of the sport on my terms and that was something that was of huge kind of meaning for me and you know the fact that I could do that and then then I was like dabbling a little bit in GA and I started cycling a good bit through kind of lockdown and started doing cyclocross and then I was like I'll get into you know I need to get fit and people kept saying to me oh will you do the masters do the masters athletics because there's a huge master track and field scene here in Ireland and I was like I have zero interest in that because I'll just be measuring myself off my previous time. So I wanted something a little bit different. And then I said, I'll do a marathon for the crack. Well, I suppose it's something completely different. Nobody could compare you to anybody else, really, because you, you know, you hadn't come from a marathon background or an endurance background. You'd come from a sprint background. Um, you mentioned cyclocross there a couple of times. You did well in it, too, actually, from what I remember. Ah, um, well, yeah. Ah, you did. You did. That I remember good. seeing like, your results. Brilliant sport. Absolutely. It's fantastic. tough. It is so tough. It's a proper, like, full gas for your 50 minutes. You know, every course changes. Uh, the bike's up on your shoulder. You know, a bit of rain and you're slipping and sliding. But it's fantastic. And that's the thrill of it, you know. And I did a little bit last year and I'll do more now this year as well. And, you know, it, it's just, 
I, I just love the buzz. And like last year, I was like, I was doing all the Leinster leagues and stuff like that. And big numbers, you know, and you've A, Bs and all this sort of crack. And then um, I was making progress. And then I was like, I'll do the nationals. And in my head, I'm thinking, it's like national athletics cross country. There's be hundreds in, in on the start line. And then I remember I threw the entry in. And then um, one of my mates, Paddy Daly, uh, he texted me going, oh yeah, good to see you on the start list. And he sent it to me. And it was like 30 people on it. And I was like, what the hell is this? And I started looking at all the names and I'm thinking, ah, oh, no, something's not right here. There was like 30 people. And sure, lo and behold, I went up and did it. It was up in Armagh. Um, and the mud, oh my God, the mud. But I absolutely, I, I think I won the first 100 metres. And after that, I was <laughs> Well, look at you were a sprinter. So, I mean, uh, we were true to form. You're you're able to run. We know you can run. You're able to cycle. Can you swim? Oh, I get this. Um, I wouldn't be the most efficient swimmer. But apparently you can work on that. Is that true? Well, it's just like everything else. With time, commitment and dedication, you can become anything you want. I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, people have asked me this before. Um, I'll never say never. It'll, it'll, it's probably one of these things that I, I would try. Um, That's exactly what I was going to say. Will you come across to triathlon? I think knowing me, like, I like a challenge and I like kind of changing things as I go. Um, you know, I, I do enjoy cycling. I live in Ballantyre. We've got great roads, great hills, the Dublin mountains, all that on our doorstep. And it's a fantastic kind of day out and I love it. Um, I also love running. So, you know, I think probably comes down to time and making sure that I can actually just, but do you know what it is as well? I like doing stuff that I've no, no pedigree in. You know, I like kind of getting away from, say, the sprinting side. And that's what marathon and cyclocross I enjoyed. It was like, I've no benchmark. This is just new. This is something that's a bit of bit of crack. Uh, and let's see what happens. So, you know, maybe. I'm not going to commit to anything, but maybe. Okay. Or maybe even gravel biking, because that's pretty cool too. Yeah, apparently that's where it's all at these days. You know, and actually like the cyclocross, I, I changed the uh, the tires on it and the wheels and then went up around. I actually went and only recently, I did 40K from my house all on gravel up around like tick knock and stuff like that amazing beautiful it's so cool isn't it though it's brilliant yeah and again the other thing as well i know like you know safety wise you're off the road there's no cars um but like the trails the fire roads and then linking into places like the gap and all that like you've so much on your doorstep and what i like about it as well it, it's slightly different so it's not road it's not mountain biking it's something a little bit different and um yeah very enjoyable yeah, and if you come out the west of Ireland, then you have so many trails and track and trails and everything that you can you can decide whether you want to run or whether you want to cycle them. It's great fun, especially in the winter when you don't want to be going on your racing bike and out in the road with the skinny wheels. You have a little bit more comfort on the gravel bike um, in terms of the, the safety on the road. And also, you're not going to slip and slide all over the place. Plus, yeah. you've no excuse when it's really windy and wet outside when you have a gravel bike because... Really, you can go out in all in all weathers. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Now, you briefly touched on MasterChef. I can't admit to having watched it, but you won it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You beat off uh, Angus Negrina and Maya Dunphy, I think, was it? Yeah, that, that was it. That was the three of us in the final, yeah. Brilliant experience. And again, it's one of these things, like, I actually got asked to do that the day after I had, I tore my Achilles in Australia. Um, I was 29, approaching 30, and I retired and that was it. And I remember going home to the apartment I was in, Charlotte was there and like, you know, my world had literally just fell apart and um, tantrums. And I could remember, you know, I threw the mattress up and the, oh, it was just all of that. And I woke up the next day and it was like uh, an email from a production company saying, do you want to 
would you do this? Athletes tend to do well in it, blah, blah, blah. And I, I love the show. I've watched it everywhere I went in the world. Um, so I said, I'm doing nothing else. I might as well. So that actually got me home originally. And Charlotte stayed over in Australia. She was working for the Canberra Raiders um, rugby league team. And um, yeah, like my, my my main goal going into MasterChef was just don't get booted out first. <laughs> don't get kicked out first. Um, national TV, just don't, don't, and don't cry. Um and yeah, I I loved it. It was great. It was and like I'd always I would have had an interest in food to be fair. Um, but I wouldn't have been cooking for friends or family. I was just cooking for myself. But uh, I would have cooked from scratch quite a lot. Um, yeah, it was it was good. Like I never again in my wildest dreams thought I would have won. My mom is even like, "Who did you pay off?" There's no chance. <laughs> um, but it was great. And like like it's funny because I opened up an awful lot of opportunity at a time when. I was really struggling, you know, and I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I kind of referenced, you know, working with a couple of brands at that time. And that that kind of probably, you know, two years later when I decided to kind of, I need a bit of time out. I had one or two brands that I was working with in relation to kind of food and healthy lifestyle. I was like, look, I'll focus on these and then I'll try and get my head around what, I, what I'm going to do. Um, but it was brilliant. It, it, like, it was amazing. And even on the final, we were brought to Dubai and... Um, I can remember my we had, we had three hours to cook uh, a three course meal, so uh, starter, main, and dessert. And I cooked um, quinoa encrusted lamb cutlets. So quinoa back then now was like ooh quinoa notions, notions. Oh, complete notions, absolutely. Now you can get it everywhere. They're like oh it's all that stuff. Um, so I did quinoa encrusted uh, lamb cutlets with a jus. Uh, that, so that's gravy basically homemade. Um, and then the main course was um, pan fried halibut. So a meaty white fish, meaty white fish, or you know, a chunky white fish, on a bed of avocado and celeriac. More notions. Oh, complete notions! Like absolutely, like celeriac romulade mayonnaise, right? Um, I know. I was like, where is all this coming from? And then because it was in the boy, uh, the Burj Khalifa, I think, was built around about then. So I made um, the old meringue with a creme chantilly. Do you know what that is? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I do, of course. <laughs> with a bit of fruit and I made it in a tower and I think I had like a what do you call it a raspberry coolie that's Coolie. the one I, I was going to say coolio and I was like no 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 what's, what's a coolio um, and I won it yeah mighty yeah the thing about being on MasterChef as well is you were you were probably very well known in sporting circles and obviously, you know, in, in general, right? But then you go on MasterChef and suddenly you become a household name and then you win it. And it's like, oh, yeah. here's that lad that was the sprinter that was at the Olympics and won like, two European medals. I'm not going to lie. Like, I remember in the aftermath, I was now, I'd come home. So I was living back with mum and dad and um, I went out to Dundrum Town Centre. And I remember kind of like prior to that, you get a couple of lads looking, you know, you know, because they might be into sport or people who are into sport might kind of go, oh, there's your man. Now it was like, you know, all mums and all and like, like grannies and all. They were kind of going nudging each other. Going, and I remember kind of going, this is weird. The whole different demographic like recognizing me and like food. And they were coming up going like, I remember I was in the shops and um, a woman stopped me and goes, oh, well, you were your man off the telly, Master Chef. And she says, I have the family coming over on Sunday. Um, Giovanni, what will I cook? Yeah, the Sunday roast. And I was going, oh, what? Like, how? Well, like, no, I don't. She actually thought I was a chef. And I was like, I'm no more than a chef. Like, I've just skipped that part and became master chef. Like, oh, God. But Brilliant. Go and um, what's your go-to meal now if you're having a, a dinner party? What would you cook? Um, I do like uh, 
like a sheet pan. So what I would do is uh, prawn and chicken and chorizo or chorizo, whatever kind of way you pronounce it, um, on a sheet pan. So very basic. But I, I love kind of just making one pot dishes again with the kids and stuff like that. So, yeah, like that's that's kind of probably the go to at the moment, you know. And uh, uh, have you an air fryer? Um, no, I don't have an air. I know it's shocking. You know, what am I doing? Our neighbors next door have a little fella, same age as my daughter. So he came in, they were playing and then his dad was shouting over the fence going, oh, Adam, your, your dinner. And my wife sure went out and got it. And it was uh, sausages he'd cooked in the air fryer. And we were like, give us a shot of these. Yeah. An air fryer. Yeah. And listen, from one reality TV show to another, Hell Week. I was obsessed with Hell Week. I love Hell Week. We've had some Hell Week former participants on the show yeah. as well. It is intense and it's amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. do you know, it, it, it's actually quite, it, it's hard to explain to people how intense and how, how tough it is. Like, you know, after the show, people say, God, that looks, that looks fierce tough on the TV. And you're kind of going, yeah, yeah, it is. Like, it's so hard to explain how intense it is. Like when you're watching on TV, you're only watching that hour and you're getting like the Sunday game version of it, you know? Whereas for us in reality, it was 24 seven. It was just, it was, you were always on edge and, you know, out of the whole course of the week, you know, less than seven hours sleep calories were like, I'd say maybe 1200 to 1500 calories and all the exercise, the no sleep. It was just relentless. And I have to say it was probably one of the, like it was, it was the hardest week of my life. Absolutely. But one of the best weeks of my life. It was such a rewarding feeling. Um, and I think, to be honest, everyone that was on my show, they were doing it for their own personal reasons. And I think for me, like, I'd always questioned post-career, did I, did I have that edge about me or was that gone? You know, the things that made me a good athlete and the things that, like, motivated me and inspired me, now that I, like, I'd retired, had I lost all that? Was that gone? And I think... I just wanted to, I wanted to see if I had that edge about me. And that was, that was the most rewarding thing. And, you know, you're challenged mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, but probably one of the hardest tasks was they came in and not, not a whole lot of this made TV, but they challenged us on kind of our own self-awareness. And we had to like, we were given a questionnaire um, on our own self-awareness. And then we had to evaluate everybody else in the room. We had to, uh, we had to write about ourselves. Yeah. And it wasn't about medals. It wasn't about performances. It was like, who are you? Like, who are you? And I can remember sitting there going, geez, how, how do I answer this question? And it was just such a reflective kind of moment that, you know, maybe think about the journey I was on and maybe think about me as a person, you know, never mind running or athletics or what maybe defined me and gave me identity. And I think, you know, it was definitely one of those moments that I always think back to because um, I got a lot out of it. And I think that's sometimes... Like Goggins, Ray Goggins, he kept saying at the start, like, you're going to have to search within your soul to your core. He kept saying these things. And at that time, you're kind of going, what's he talking about? But that's exactly it. And I think, you know, to go through a process like that, yes, the physical is important, but it's all about up here in the head. And it made me actually think about, like, to what level are we actually living? You know, are are, are we even hitting like 50% of our potential? Like, where where are we? And if someone had said, here's the week that's going to unfold. I would have said, no chance. I'm not going to be able to do that. No way. But it's amazing when you're in that environment and, you know, it's almost a matter of life and death, you know, what you can actually produce and what you can actually do. It's 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 fascinating. And so from MasterChef to Hell Week, Dancing with Stars, maybe, potentially? <laughs> no, yeah. like Tall enough. You have no, the twinkle toes from the sprinting. Well, do you? Can you up? dance? Yeah, after a few points, I can dance. Um <laughs> Do you know what? I, I think I'm off the hook on this one because I don't know if that's actually happening again. 
Um, would you believe? I, I'll be honest. With you, I turned it down. I turned it did down. Did you? I actually was just totally randomly yeah, asking no, about did. Dancing with the Stars. The first year I was on, I turned it down because it was it was so close to MasterChef, and I was kind of thinking, oh, I'm going to be this like reality TV slut, like going to everything, you know. And then then I was like, no. And then I got asked to uh, to do it again, and I think we were expecting uh, one. Uh, I can't remember one of one of the kids around then. It just didn't fit. But yeah, no. Like, I don't know. Like, it'd be some crack. Jesus. <laughs> You'd want to be flying around the uh, the dance floor there. You'd definitely be pushing out three MMLs of, uh, of no, lactate. No, lactate <laughs> for the eyeballs, yeah. yeah. Um, David, if you look back at everything that you've achieved so far, what would you say would be the highlights of your life so far? They don't have to be in sport, just life in general. Yeah, like, I think, if I can be brutally honest, I think, you know, probably post-career the last couple of years I think you know and I, I I don't really harp on too much about the mental health aspect but it played a pivotal role in who I was and made me really kind of think about like what's important in life and like by doing that I think showing an element of vulnerability was probably one of my biggest strengths um, and asking for help and you know I suppose being male come from sport faster fitter stronger all that um, it was easy to hide behind for a few years but I kind of I think by actually asking for help, it made me learn about myself. It made me understand who I was as a person. And, you know, we've three young kids and, you know, you know, I'm 40 this year and I, I kind of, I want to really enjoy life. Um, and I want to do things that I, I'm passionate about. And, you know, I now do look back at my career with fondness and I look back to how privileged I was and, you know, to get the opportunities to, to represent my country and, Probably in that kind of aspect, making a world final in 2009, I didn't win any medals, but there was always a huge goal for me was to to try and make a global sprint final, which, you know, for Marlon, we hadn't we hadn't done in nearly a century. So to be able to do that is probably like one of my biggest and, and proudest moments. Um, and yeah, I think they're kind of like, you know, like the Master Chefs and, and, and the Hell, like the Hell Week, I have to say, like the Hell Week was probably... In terms of kind of going back and really putting yourself out of your comfort zone, um, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, and then you do it on national TV. And again, I was like, don't cry, don't cry. Um, but and did you yeah. cry? Well, what actually happened, right? So no, no, was... no, don't be making excuses now. Did you cry or did you I, not I cry? Did. Let me answer the question. <laughs> okay. When, when we were told we had passed and stuff like that, we then had to walk up all those steps. And then you come out, and I remember it vividly. It was a Saturday morning, literally last Saturday, a year ago. That's when it was filmed, that whole Mad. week. So la- and I was actually in Cork. That's the amazing thing. I went and I visited a place last week. Um, I can remember coming out, and we had two of the um, two of the kind of crew there, and it was all over, and a big hug. And that's when it's just like, what has just happened? And then we have to have a debrief with the psychologist before they send you off. Um, and th- that at that moment, that's when the kind of the family and Charlotte and the kids began to come into my head again because I probably, you had to, all right? You had to push them away because if I started thinking about them throughout that week, I would have crumbled. And that's when, you know, everything just came to the fore. And yeah, that's when I shed a couple of tears. But everyone did. Like, that's the thing. It's just so demanding. Um, But I didn't do it when the cameras were there. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, you mentioned them quite a bit throughout the uh, throughout the chat. Are they following in daddy's footsteps? Yeah, they're into like they're into their sport. Um, you know, right now, like Oscar's seven, so he's at the age where he can kind of get involved with clubs. So he's doing he's doing the athletics. He's up at Dundrum. Um, he's doing soccer locally. He's doing Gaelic football, bit of rugby. Like, 
I think at this age, like I'd follow in what my my parents did with me and give them as much sport, different movements, all that sort of stuff as possible. And let's see where it lands. You know, it's it's all about fun and just getting them out and getting them active. And Olivia now, she's five, so she's getting involved in activities as well. So like I think when when I look at it, like what really kind of works with, with my kids anyway is when you give them the attention and you're present with them physically and mentally. And 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 that's kind of, you know, even when I head into kind of summertime, that's like one of the things I want to do more of. And um, yeah, look, if they want to run, I'll happily support them. I think any sport that makes you and enables you to travel the world, you learn, you grow. And, you know, I think uh, an element of kind of competitiveness in there is no harm as well. So um, yeah, let, let's see what happens. Well, David, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It was an insightful, entertaining and a fun chat as well. And uh, I wish you the very best of luck with everything. I'm sure our paths will cross again somewhere, either running or on a microphone, or you might even be on a start line or a finish line of a triathlon at some point. Hashtag no pressure. Yeah, well, I'm glad you said finish line. Okay, finish line. I meant after doing the swim, bike and run and crossing the finish line and I'll call you across the finish line. I don't mean being on the mic beside me, but hey, never say never. No, brilliant. Thanks a million for having us on and enjoyed the, enjoyed the chat. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. If you would like to hear more great episodes of the podcast, be sure to check them out on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow all of our activities and podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. If you have any feedback or guest suggestions, please email me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com. I really would love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day. 